Genius. Welcome. So, Sunny Bonani, Dumelang, Khoyamora. How's it to everyone here? Welcome. How's it, Erwin? I can see you're excited. Uh, welcome to Parkhurst Community Church this morning. It is my real, real joy to be able to bring God's Word to you. And uh, as Tono said, we're going to be continuing in the book of Mark. It's one of the four uh, Gospels at the start of the New Testament, and we are been in a series there for the last few months. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. We'll be in Mark chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 21 all the way to verse 34. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 is where we'll start. But uh, just before we get there, I have a parenting confession. So my wife Buffy and I have a five-month-old. His name is Benjamin. We call him Benji. And I I, I like to give myself the benefit of the doubt and think that most of the time I, I parent quite well. And I've only had a few months' experience, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm doing an okay job. And then there's definitely times when I feel like, yeah, you, you didn't do a good job there. And there's, just, there's, no, there's no fighting it. You just, you just didn't do a good job. And uh, this, this story is in that, that latter category, I'm afraid. So probably a month or two ago, we had good friends of ours around for a braai. And uh, five months olds go to sleep quite early. So he, he was asleep before they arrived. And so now it's like 10, 30, 11, they're, they're about to leave. And I'm thinking to myself, these, these people haven't seen Benji. Like, don't they know how cool he is? Because I'm, I'm definitely in that stage of parenting now where every single thing he does, I'm like, no baby's done this before. Like, like look, look at that smile. No baby's got a smile this handsome. Like, oh, look at him yawn. No baby's got a yawn that cute. Like, I just, I just want to show him off to my friends, basically. So it's now about 11 o'clock at night. He's been asleep a while. And I, I said to these guys, hey, do you just want to just pop in and see what he looks like? Just, and uh, if you've got kids, you know that this is going to end pretty badly. So I thought, come, let's just, let's just go in and see what he looks like. So I open the door, and now it's dark, obviously. So I reach for my phone to try and turn on the, the light on my phone. And instead of it like, you know, lighting up a corner of the room and creating this like, ambient light, and there's little Benji asleep like an angel, and everyone's like, oh, look at him. It accidentally just shines this beam of light like straight into his little face. And he wakes up with a start, and there's three big adults now in the room staring at him. And he, and he actually cried for something like 25 minutes after that. And so I, I definitely didn't win uh, Parent of the Year, and I definitely didn't win Husband of the Year, but my wife is amazingly, amazingly gracious. But the, the moral of that little story is not that I'm a terrible parent. The moral of that story is that when light shines, stuff happens. When, when bright light gets involved, you, you cannot help... But, but be changed by it. It catalyzes something. It stirs something in you. When light comes into the scene, it interrupts and it starts. And this passage is, is a little bit like that. Jesus is arriving and he's, and he's calling himself the light of God, the lamp of God. And what he's doing is he's catalyzing, he's inaugurating, he's kicking off the kingdom of God. And what, all we're going to do is we're going to just walk a bit by bit through this passage. We'll, we'll read it in two chunks. And if you're taking notes, here are the two headings we'll look at this passage under. The first one is the lamp, and the second one is the seed. So the lamp is in the the light that God is shining through Jesus, and the seed is is the kingdom of God that we're going to be looking at today. And last little thing before we dive into the passage, there's a little quiz for you. Does anybody know what Sunday it is in the church calendar? Not our church calendar, but the church calendar. Oh, I'm hearing some whispers. Say it confidently. It's Pentecost Sunday, people. Does anybody know what Pentecost is? 
Okay, if, if you don't know what Pentecost is, I would suggest you, you pick up your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2, and you just give it a quick read today. It is the Sunday that we celebrate the fact that God poured out His Spirit on the church. That He said, in, in these days, it's not just going to be for certain people in certain places doing little important things. He's saying it is for everyone, men, women, children, everybody gets the Spirit of God. It's a beautiful thing. And we're going to be remembering that in different ways this Sunday. And I think it's, it's actually a beautiful thing that Dave, while leading worship a few moments ago, just said he had a picture from God for the church. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. We believe he's still actually speaking to us today. We believe wholly in the Bible. We don't move away from this for an inch. But we believe that God is still going to speak to us in accordance with this to give us things that we can hold on to now. And so it's by the Holy Spirit that we actually have life in God. It's by the Spirit that we, that we can understand the truth of the Bible. It's by the Spirit that we've got gifts like prophecy, like tongues, like interpretation, like healing. These are things we actually believe in. It's by the Spirit we've got power, we've got joy in our hearts. And so just before we start, I, I, really, I want to I make it a, or at least respond to what Dave said, because it's the most natural thing in the world for us. When, as the, the Christian pattern is, when God speaks, we respond. And, we, and I've known Dave long enough to know that his prophetic insight is on point. And so that when he's up here saying, I feel like God, there's some of us here who God is trying to warm up with his love, that there really are people here that, that God is trying to do that to. So let's close our eyes. Let's pray for this, this Holy Spirit to come and, and help us. And, and yeah, if, that's, if that's you, why don't you just, uh, all our eyes are closed. If that, is that you, if that prophetic word from Dave spoke to you in any way, just give me some sort of sign, like a hand up or something like that, because I do just want to pray for you specifically as we start. If you feel like God's just trying to warm me up with his love. Yeah. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that there are people who have felt that resonate with them, that you, you want to warm us up with your love. And I pray for these guys in particular, and I, and I pray for us as a whole now, as we come to your word, would you put a fire in us? Would you come and make, yeah, just give us the warmth of the presence of God, knowing that, that you delight in us, that you've given us everything we need for life, everything we need to follow you. Come and warm us up by your Holy Spirit as we remember that you, you love to pour out gifts and love and delight on us. So we need your help this morning, God. We don't come as independent people. We come as needy people to your word and say, would you teach us? Because uh, it's not going to come from, uh, from good sermons. It's going to come from a good spirit. So come and bring revelation to us today in your beautiful name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's get started. Let's read from verse 21. I'll read until verse 25, and then we'll, we'll unpack it for a little bit. So here we go. Verse 21, Mark chapter 4. Here's what it says. And he, that's Jesus, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So this is the first little section we're going to unpack here. 
the lamp. And I think there's two things that Jesus is doing here. The first thing is that Jesus is revealing something about himself. And I'm not going to hide it for too long. Jesus is, is referring to himself as the lamp. Jesus is the lamp that's arriving. And you've probably heard this phrase before. This is, this is quite a common phrase in the Gospels in verse 21. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? That pops up in Matthew 5. That same phrase pops up in Luke 11. But in this instance, in Mark's recording, he's doing something quite unique. Because here he's announcing something about his identity. And I think that the, the ESV doesn't capture it quite as well as, the, as another translation does because there's some nuances here in the text. And so I've got, a, got another translation up on screen for us from uh, the literal standard version. And it says this, Does the lamp come that it may be put under the measure? And the measure is a basket. Because Mark isn't talking about a lamp. He's talking about the lamp. There's a definite article under there. The lamp. Not any old lamp. The lamp. And the, and the lamp in this sentence is not passively being carried around by someone. It's, it's in the active here. The lamp is the one doing the arriving. It's a personified lamp. It's Jesus saying, hey, it's, it's me. I am the lamp, the light of the world, and I'm arriving. It's very, very unique here. And it matters that Jesus is calling himself the lamp because that's, an, that's a reference to Yahweh in the Old Testament. So Yahweh, the God of Israel. Here's another reference. 2 Samuel 22, verse 29. It says this, You, Yahweh, you are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. So when Jesus is saying, hey, the lamp has arrived, he's saying, God has arrived. God has arrived. The light of God is here. God himself is here. And the lamp doesn't just refer to to Yahweh in the Old Testament. There's other instances where it's referring to God's Messiah. Again, that's Jesus. There's another instance when it's referring to the, the Word of God, the law of God as the lamp. That's, many of you may have read Psalm 119. Your, your law, God, your, it's, it's a lamp to my feet. So when Jesus is saying, the lamp is here, he's saying, God's here, the Messiah is here, the Word of God is here. People are hearing that. And we need to hear that this morning. That when he's calling himself the lamp, He's announcing something about his identity. And I, and I just love. Look at verse 22 with me. He says, nothing's hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing's secret except to come to light. He's saying, God is here and I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not going to have secrets with you anymore. This is what I'm about. This is what God's about. It's as if the great spotlight of God, the stage light of God has been lit up. And with Christ, he's pulling back that stage curtain and he's saying, I'm not hiding behind a curtain anymore. The light of God is now made manifest for everyone to see. This is what God is like. And he's shining a few things for us. The first one I believe he's shining is he's shining to us what the kingdom of God looks like. And we're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God this morning. And, and by kingdom, I think there's a lot of confusion about what that actually means. This is a good thing to write down if you're taking notes because people always talk about the kingdom. I'm not sure we've actually pinned down what we mean by that. The kingdom of God is not more complicated than this. It is where God is in charge. That's it. It's where the rule of God is. Where God is gladly submitted to and called king. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is shining to us what that actually looks like. And so... I'll just take us on a little recap and a little preview of, of Mark because Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be in the place where God is in charge. Where Jesus is in charge, people get healed. 
Where Jesus is in charge, people get transformed. Where Jesus is in charge, people who are spiritually oppressed are set free. Where, pe- where Jesus is in charge, those who are on the outside are shown welcome. The forgotten are remembered, the vulnerable are noticed and cared for, and people are full of joy. That's what he's shining. The kingdom of God is not a threatening place to be. It's the best possible place to be where Jesus is in charge. He's shining what it means to be part of the kingdom. And ultimately, he's shining God's rescue plan for us. Because the the stand that the, the lamp sits on is ultimately not a stand, it's a cross. And he's shining to us just the the wild and the lavish and the unexpected way that God is saying, hey, I'm coming to forgive you. That shame you feel, I'm coming to take it away. That guilt you feel, I'm coming to, it's going to be gone. That fear you feel, that crippling anxiety, I'm coming to take it away. And it comes in a way that we didn't expect. We're expecting rescue to come from our strength. God, I'm going to strain and I'm going to show you how good and how clean I am. God's like, no, 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 no. The lamp is shining God's rescue plan. And that rescue plan looks like, looks like Jesus putting up his hand and saying, I'll stand in the place of these guys. It looks like Jesus saying, what they deserve, I will take so that they can get what I deserve. And I can't explain it better than Paul does in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It should be on the screen as well. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the rescue plan of God. It's Jesus in our place. And then it's no wonder that then Jesus moves on to this and he says, so listen, if you've got ears to hear, you've got to listen to this. So I want to say to you, if, if, if this is new to you, if this idea of God standing in your place is new to you, please listen to that. There isn't another message like this. You can search every philosophy every religion, you go to every country in the world and you will never find a message as good as this. That God said, I love you guys enough that I will take the punishment you deserve. So if you're hearing that for the first time, please listen. If you have ears, listen to that. And if you're like me and this is not, uh, it's still good news, but it's not fresh news to you. Hear it again, please. We just sang it, that God is for you. That God is for you. You aren't defined by a good walk, like a good day with Jesus or a bad day with Jesus. You're defined without reference to your actions. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by the fact that Jesus has covered your sin. You're not defined by your shame. You're defined by the fact that he's taken it away and he's made you pure. You're not defined by failures or anxiety, or depression. You aren't defined by that stuff. You're defined by the fact that God loves you, and he has said once and for all, if I've given you my son, you need to know that I'm for you in this thing. I am for you. The gospel never gets old. So if this is old news to you, listen again. If you have ears to hear, listen to me, please. That this is still good news, and it is still going to rock your world as you listen to it. So there is a revelation about Jesus, and then there is a a call to response. Jesus says this in verse 24 and verse 25. He says, pay attention, please pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he's saying this, how you approach the word of God 
Your attitude towards the Word of God determines what you get out of the Word of God. He's using this idea of the measure you use, and that's just, it's not really words we use anymore, but the measure is a, ba- a basket used to measure things. Like, how much can I get in this basket? That's a measure. He's saying, the size of the basket you take when you approach the Word of God will determine how much you walk away with. That sounds logical, right? If you go to the shops with a big bag, you can leave with lots. If you go with a little bag, you can probably only leave with a little. And I was thinking how to, how to explain this. And an old, old thought came to mind. How many of you remember the Reggie's Rush? Yeah? Any, okay, a few of you are chuckling away. So is it there? The Reggie's Rush. It is so hard to find this image, by the way. This is like the hardest part of my preach preparation. Um, the Reggie's Rush. If you, if you didn't grow up with KTV on a Saturday morning, uh, which I did in the 90s, th- this, this is the Reggie's Rush. Is Reggie still a shop, by the way? Does it exist? No? Some people are nodding. Jane's just had her heart broken. She's like, it's not, it doesn't make sense. Um, so Reggie's is, I think, basically like Toys R Us. It's just a big, fun toy store for kids. It's, it's essentially child heaven. And, and the Reggie's Rush was this show where they used to unleash children into the shop and say, okay, you've got a minute, and whatever you can take in a minute is yours. Can you imagine that as a kid? Hey, like... The, Everything you can imagine, there's, there's like Game Boy Colors. I know this is throwback upon throwback, right? There's a Game Boy Colors, there's remote control cars, whatever you want. If you can grab it, it's yours. Now imagine you're watching that show and there's one kid. He's got like a trolley in both arms. And I, I always thought to myself, if I was doing this, I would just stick an arm in each aisle and just pour everything into a trolley. And then there's another kid doing it and he's walking around, he's just analyzing, thinking, mm. and they're counting down, 10, 9, Eight. He hasn't put anything in his bag yet. He's walking around. Ah, not this, not this. If you're watching that show, you would look at that kid and, say, and, and you'd say, you are doing this so wrong. Don't you know what is on offer here? And I, and I really thought, like, how many of us are approaching God's word like that? There is a feast on offer for us. We should be approaching this with wide-eyed, expectant, childlike anticipation, thinking, how much can I get? But we're walking around thinking, hmm. Mm-mm. Maybe not today. And I, and I really want you to hear this as well. Uh, I'm not talking about intelligence levels. I'm not saying, hey, you'll get a lot from God's word if you're smart. I'm not saying, it doesn't have, have to do with literacy. It doesn't have to do with education. It has to do with your heart's attitude. When you approach the word of God, do you come expectant? Hey, if the preacher's good, if the preacher's horrendous, it doesn't matter. It's God's word being spoken. How do you approach God's word? I, this is, I hadn't planned on saying this, but this is a quote that's really impacted me. It says, it's a sign of an unhealthy church when you're only blessed by good sermons. Because then you're being blessed by the preacher. It's the word of God that changes hearts. It doesn't matter who's speaking it. it. doesn't matter if the presentation is good or slick or ugly. It matters that you approach the word of God with expectation, with a trolley in each arm. And so church, how, how big is the basket you bring to God's word? When, you, when you're reading it by yourself, with your family, uh, with your church family, on a Sunday, are you coming hungry and expectant? Because the promise here of Christ is the basket you use will be how much you take away. And if you come with little, you will leave with little. And even then, you might not leave with anything. What is your expectation when you approach God's word, and I'm praying that it is high. 
because God is mighty and God's word is this feast. It's this Reggie's rush available to us. So the, the, the light, the, the lamp that is Jesus shines for us, deserves and demands listening and response. It deserves this careful listening from us. So that's the lamp. Let's move on to the, the next section, the seed. So I'll read from verse 26 to the end of verse 34. Some of these parables might sound familiar to some of you. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said to them, with what shall we compare, what can we rather, compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And just before we unpack what these parables mean for us, I want to just pause for a second and marvel at the fact that Jesus chooses seeds. Because Jesus could have picked anything to illustrate the kingdom of God. And so often he's picking the most boring stuff. A lot of these people are farmers that he's speaking to. These are guys who are working with their, their hands. These are, these are not, uh, most of them are not academics. Maybe the Pharisees would have thought, oh, this is a bit of a, a banal image. Why are you using seeds? But the, the average person hearing Jesus at this time has held a seed in their hand, has sown seed in a field probably. It's, he, he couldn't have picked a more ordinary image to describe the kingdom of God. If he tried, it's like Jesus rocking up today in this church and right, saying, guys, gather up. You want to hear what the kingdom's like? Okay, come on. Come on, everyone close. Okay, the kingdom of God is like, it's like brushing your teeth. And you're like, what? Everyone does that. He's like, yeah. The kingdom of God is like going to work. Like, but that happens basically every day. He's like, yeah. That's the point. I want to read a quote, it should be on the screen as well, from a theologian called James Edwards, who I think captures the heart of this so well. He says, the God whom Jesus introduces will not be kept at celestial arm's length. Jesus doesn't want to tell us how high and how lofty God is, but how near and present he is. And how the routines of planting and harvesting are mundane clues to the nature and plan of God. Isn't that stunning? In other words, Jesus is saying, I've chosen the most ordinary things, the things that you can come upon every single day. You're going to stumble upon them in your house, in your workplace. And I'm saying, that's what it's like to be where God is in charge because God is not a God who's far away from you. He's a God who's close to you. I love that. He's not at celestial arm's length. He is close. And again, it's Pentecost Sunday. The Spirit of God is alive and He's in us. I think it's John 14. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think he says that I've come. The Father has made his home in your heart. There's nothing distant about God. What was that John 14? Anybody know? Oh, Tyler's given me the yes, John 14. 
It's made his home in your heart. God is not far from you. And that's why he's picking an ordinary image. That's lovely. And what do we actually learn from these parables? Let's look at the first one. Verse 26 to 29. As far as I know, this parable is unique to Mark. It's the one where the sower sows and then he does nothing. (laughs) It is laughable how little the sower does in this parable. As far as we can tell, he sowed the seed and he slept and he woke up and he slept and he woke up and he scratched his head and somehow growth happens. This guy has done nothing. And yet God is bringing about something enormous, something just directional, something powerful in this growth. And what it's telling us here is that God brings the growth, not us. God brings the growth, not us. And to really drive home this point, I think there's something here for us who speak English. There's a, the, in verse 28, there's this the phrase that says here, the earth produces by itself. That's where you and I get the English word automatic. The Greek word there is the earth produces automatically. As in, not, not because you and I tried hard, but because there's this internal force. There's this internal power. That's what's causing growth. And maybe you've been in an automatic car and you have the illusion that you're doing something. <laughs> Guys, you're not driving an automatic car. Something else is happening. You may turn the key, you may put your foot a little bit on the accelerator, the brake, but it has nothing to do with your power, nothing to do with your expertise, nothing to do with your energy. There is an automatic internal propulsion. And that's what is happening here in the kingdom. The kingdom grows automatically because of its internal power. It depends on the power of Jesus. It depends on the promise of Jesus. That's why Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus says this, listen guys, I'm going to build my church. And you know what? The gates of hell, all the enemy's forces, they're going to try and overthrow my church and it's not going to happen. I will build my church. He doesn't say, you guys got to get cracking. A lot of work to be done, a lot of nations to be reached, a lot of neighborhoods to be found. He says, I, 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 I will build my church. The kingdom of God grows with an internal force because God is powerful and he's promised to do it. And the next one, <clears throat> this one's probably more familiar to you, the, the mustard seed. The lesson here is that the kingdom of God will never stop growing. The kingdom of God will never Stop growing. It starts smaller than you could imagine, but it's going to grow, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow until it is the largest plant in the garden, until it's the largest tree in the forest, until it's got branches that wildlife can come and relax in. It's going to never stop growing. And just look at history. That's what's happened with our faith. Jesus arrived more than two millennia ago in total obscurity. He arrived in an oppressed nation to probably a teenage mother. He had a public ministry of three years, three years, where he taught and performed miracles. That's it. Then he was assassinated. 2,000 years ago. Now, more than 2 billion people, that's 34 times the entire population of South Africa, more than 2 billion people look at this guy and think, he's God. It started smaller than we could ever imagine. You couldn't have picked a worse place at a worse time, with more adverse circumstances, to plant the seed. And it has just grown and grown and grown and grown, and it will never stop growing. 
That's the promise of this parable. And I know you and I, sometimes we, we read, we look at a culture, we look at our families, our friends, and we think, this gospel isn't growing. We think, oh, I don't know, it's just, it's just not happening. Like I see this, culture seems, more, seems less Christian than it ever was. But guys, if you look slightly further than your own context, <laughs> you will see that the gospel, the kingdom of God is exploding at rates that would change the way you saw things in places like China, places like Iran. Like we've got friends who, who know missionaries in Iran. It, it, it is wild. We're talking like tens, hundreds of churches and houses planted on a monthly basis. Look at places like Rwanda, Burundi. We're looking at a 10% growth rate of people saying yes to Jesus year on year. It will, it's staggering how much the kingdom of God is growing. And I know we only get a small window here in South Africa and think, oh, maybe it's under threat. The promise here is that the kingdom of God is going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. And even if opposition to it grows right until the end, it is going to grow and grow and grow until Jesus comes back. The kingdom of God grows automatically and it grows and grows and grows. But what does that actually mean for us? Why do those parables matter? And I, what I really want you to hear this morning is this, that you can trust the seed. You can trust the seed of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 has this quite famous quote about the gospel, which I love. It says, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Think about that. This, this tiny seed is the power of God. And God could have called anything power. He's created the universe. He could have said those meteorites that are just busting into other meteorites. That's powerful. There's volcanoes that are erupting. I read an article. I think there's been a recent eruption in the Congo, or the DRC. That, that, he could have said the volcanoes that are erupting, that's what power looks like. He says, no, 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 no. Power looks like a little seed. And that little seed contains the message that God died for sinners and he was raised for their life. And he's bringing a kingdom that makes the world change. That's the, that is the most powerful thing in God's mind. And so church, hear me. You can trust that powerful seed. You can trust it as you sow it. And again, hear this. You trust it as you sow it. I've really, really emphasized how much this, the kingdom grows because of God's power. But hear me, you and I, in these parables, we sow. God's authority, God's sovereignty, and our responsibility are not totally separate or distinct. God is sovereign. You and I sow, and we trust. So please don't think that because the kingdom grows automatically, that there's no sowing on our parts. We sow and we trust. And so, first thing here is I say to you, sow it and trust it in your own life. God really challenged me this week to, to rethink insignificant. Because I, I, if you're like me, you probably think a lot of the time in, in reality that, oh, like, I read my Bible, I went, to, I went to communion group, I went to church on Sunday. I didn't feel like I did anything. Do you know that feeling? Yeah? I, I, God, I, it's been half an hour. I read, I've just cruised through the whole of Mark. I've listened to the podcast. I've done that. I don't feel like this amounts to anything. And God, God really wrecked me this week. And I really felt him say to me, you have never had a normal quiet time. 
I'll say that to you. If you, if you spend any time with the word, in the word with people, by yourself, however it is, you spend time worshiping, you spend time see, like meditating on the word, trying to follow God, you've never had a normal time doing that. Even if you didn't see any progress in that time or progress, or you didn't feel like anything happened, there's never been a normal time you've put yourself in front of the word because when the word is involved, when the gospel is involved, there's no such thing as insignificant. And all these little moments that you've dismissed, you are, being a, you are actually a part of this growing because God is powerful and he's bringing about the growth even when you can't see it. And as you sow the word into your life in small, repetitive ways, remember that God is using that simple act to bring about something beautiful. And so th- think about growth like this. You, you will almost never, ever, ever Witness your own growth. So Buffy and I have got Benji. He's five months old. When we look at him, we see a little baby. When you look at him, you see a chubby baby, which is fine. He's chubby, which we think is a good thing. Um, we, we, haven't, we haven't noticed that change. When he was born, he looked like a little baby. When you look at him now, we still think he's a little baby. Then you see a couple like We've got good friends called Andy and Karen Burnett, part of this church. They've just had a baby. She's five weeks old. Her name is Charlotte. You hold her in one arm, you hold Benji in the other arm, suddenly you're like, whoa, because he's grown. But Buffy and I don't see it because we're with him every single day. Does that make sense? And sometimes you don't see the growth that God is doing because you're up close. It's like you don't notice your own hair growing. I definitely don't notice my own hair growing. (laughs) Because you see it every single day. And sometimes you need to step back and reflect and say, God, wow, like, two years ago I was here, six months ago I was here, three days ago I was here, and now I'm a chubby baby. Guys, God is growing you because God is powerful. And sometimes you need to reflect, you need to stand back to see that the kingdom of God in you is growing and growing and growing, and it will never stop growing. And pausing to reflect is going to give you praise for God in the past, and faithful what God is going to do in the future. Trust the seed as you sow it in your life. There's no such thing as a normal time with God. He is doing this kingdom building in you, always. That's his promise. So trust it in your own life, and trust it in the lives of others. Please don't underestimate for a second what God is doing as you speak to him, as you speak to people about Jesus. It's the same Same lesson here. He's going to grow and grow and grow and in mysterious ways with that internal force. Uh, I I have a really good mate. And when we were at university together, he just didn't want to come near Jesus, didn't want to come near church. But I kept saying to him, bro, please, you've just got to come check out this Jesus guy. Like he's he's doing something in my life. You've got to come. And I pushed him to come to church to hear the gospel. And he just said, no, 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 no. Until eventually he said to me, dude, I've I've just done too many bad things. Like I can't come to church. So I said to him, if that's the case, no one's coming to church. And that wasn't a smart presentation of the gospel. It wasn't a good presentation of the gospel. It was barely even a gospel presentation. Okay, I, didn't, I didn't mention Jesus and nothing. I didn't do any of the good stuff. God used that in some crazy way to bring that dude to church. That guy got saved. That guy got discipled in that church. That, last Sunday, he became a pastor at that church. Trust the seed as you sow it in other people's lives. That took long, that, that's 10 years of, of friendship with that guy. 
more than because we knew each other at school. But you can trust the seed as you sow it. Not because you said it well or you said it right, but because God is powerful. And so, like, you know, last night, Buffy and I were sitting at dinner with, with friends of ours who don't know Jesus, and we're talking about the cross and suffering, and, and they left, and they didn't seem like anything changed in these guys. But we trust the seed, right? Because it's powerful, and God brings growth, and we trust that those conversations God will use to bring people to faith. And again, it doesn't need to be, you don't need to be smart uh, or get it all right. Trust the seed. That as you sow it, as you bumble it along, God's going to bring growth. That's his promise. So as we close, just remember this, that that Jesus has come and shone a bright, bright light. It has lit up this dark room and he has brought about the growth, this powerful and unstoppable growth of the kingdom of God. That's what these parables are trying to show us. And we're we're going to take communion in a second. Tornal's going to, although I think the band's going to come up in a bit and Tornal's going to lead us in communion. And I'll say what I said at the beginning. Uh, respond to this. There's nothing more normal as a Christian to hear God speak and respond. That's what the Christian life is. Jesus pours out his love in you. You say, yes, Lord, I'm, I follow you. Jesus challenges something in your life. You say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna, by your power and your mercy, I'm going to live differently. And if there's anything this morning that God has put, his, like, just put pressure on your heart in some way or something stood out to you, do not leave without responding to God. And just a few, a few people I want to call to respond this morning. If, if, if for the first time you've had ears to hear and you've heard the gospel and you want to say yes to Jesus, let's pray for you. Let's say, let's say yes with you. If you've been convicted that when you approach God's word, you don't have a big enough basket, that you've, you've come to it disparagingly, skeptically, not, not expectantly, let's pray that God would increase joy in you, increase delight in you, increase expectancy in you. And lastly, if you, if you ask someone who just says, Jesus, like, I want to trust the seed that is growing in me. And I want to trust that it's growing in others when I share because I don't, I don't feel like I'm seeing it. If you just want encouragement and faith put into you, let's pray for you. And again, guys, I love Pentecost. I really, I really dig the Holy Spirit. If you just want more of the Holy Spirit, let's pray for you. So after... Ben's going to come up, sing, we'll do communion. As we close the service, if you felt like you want to respond to any of that, there'll be people up here to pray for you. It doesn't need to be big. Uh, just, I mean, prayer is a normal response. Just respond. Just come up and let's pray for you because God is awesome. Let's pray together as, uh, as, as the guys come up. Jesus, thank you that even with uh, the most mediocre sermons, your powerful word is still powerful. Thank you that you are kind and we, and we just put our trust in you. Thank that, that you are a, an amazing object of faith for us. You, you're not wishful thinking. You're not just a, a philosophy that helps us feel good. You are a living God. And you are alive and you're active here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now, that you would just highlight to people how you want them to respond, if at all. And thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that there is this amazing gospel truth growing, percolating inside of us. And make it change us, please. Help us to say yes to you either for the first time or again and again, just coming back to you saying, yes, I want to follow you in a new way because you are worth following and you are a delight to follow even when it's difficult. We love you, Jesus. Come and move among us as we remember your cross, remember the gospel. 
as we respond to you in your name.